The views expressed in this podcast are solely those of the individuals being interviewed and do not necessarily represent those of the Greater Winter Haven Chamber of Commerce. You're listening to It's Happening in the Haven. I'm your host, Katie Worthington-Decker. Each episode, I get the privilege to speak to the amazing people taking Winter Haven and its surrounding Central Florida area to the next level. We're future-focused, celebrating our entrepreneurial history and leveraging it for our bright future ahead. Hello, everyone, and welcome to It's Happening in the Haven. I'm your host, Katie Worthington-Decker, President and CEO of the Greater Winter Haven Chamber of Commerce. This podcast is produced by the Winter Haven Chamber and recorded at Dolphin Image Studios in Winter Haven. At Dolphin Image Studios, we are a full production film and television studio. We offer a 3,000 square foot soundstage, a psych wall, an LED wall, a podcast studio, and a massive eight acre backlot for all of your filming needs. To find us, go to facebook.com backslash Dolphin Image Studios or find us on Instagram at Dolphin Image Studios. On today's episode, we are pleased to welcome Steve Elias, Municipal Division Manager at Pannoni, a national engineering firm. Steve is known for his passion for planning, but even more than that, his drive to help a city and the people within it reach their full potential. This podcast is made possible through the generous support of our sponsors who believe in advancing commerce and community in Winter Haven. August is National Immunization Awareness Month, and Advent Health Medical Group wants you to have peace of mind knowing your family is up to date. Vaccines are a key component of good health for all ages, not just for school-age kids. See your primary care provider and your child's pediatrician to make sure your family is current on all needed immunizations to protect them from avoidable illnesses, including tetanus, diphtheria, and pertussis, measles, mumps, and rubella, polio, chickenpox, hepatitis A and B, influenza, meningitis, and more. Set up a primary care appointment today at polkcountyprimarycare.com. Steve Elias's name in the Winter Haven community has become synonymous for many things, from smart city development to community master planning to championing our children's future through Rotary and so much more. Winter Haven stole the heart of this Pennsylvania kid, and while he is still a diehard Penn State fan, he is no doubt one of Winter Haven's greatest cheerleaders. Welcome to the podcast, Steve. Hey, good morning. Thank you so much for being here today. Um, I am excited to have you in. I've gotten to know you over the past really decade um, and your, your engagement in the community, but I'm excited to have you here today to learn a little bit more about you personally, um, but really your your vision for the community and for really the future. So um, tell us a little bit about, you are an engineer, and I'd love to learn a little bit more about you know how you picked that pathway and what kind of influenced you to take that route. Wow, I got some corny answers here. I'm gonna I'm gonna weave this in. It's really it's really about the kids and 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 when I talk a lot about um, a lot of my past today, it's gonna be to hopefully to inspire some of the kids in our community. So any, anyway, if you, hope you find this interesting. But I'm gonna say, literally, this started when I was eight years old. If you can imagine that, really, I was given a some sort of an IQ test when I was like eight years old. Okay, so you got this scared little kid. Like, what am I doing here, mom? mom. And I'll never forget the look on the person's face because they like, okay, you're eight years old. Let me just ask you a question to get your grasp of the world. Mm -hmm. And they said, so just tell me, how many miles 
you know, on top of all these other problem solving exercises, mm-hmm. they concluded, they said, how many miles do you think it is between New York City and Los Angeles? And I'll never forget my answer. It was like 2,450. <laughs> and the guy's eyes just lit up. And he's like, okay, that is freaky close. Like, can you go up or down like Bob Barker and the price is right? Couple. And the answer was 2,445 miles or something by airplane, mm-hmm. airport to airport. Now, little did he know, I just saw like an ExxonMobil commercial on TV where they had the guy, you know, they had the little, but he just thought I was the smartest kid. And he's like, told my mom, this kid needs to be an engineer right here. He has got such a grasp of everything. So anyway, that's how it so kind you of can started. Thank, we can thank ExxonMobil for yeah, your. Yeah. I've always sort of been, you know, the other thing with that is problem solving. Mm-hmm. I've always been pretty good at that, like going from something to nothing, but I'm going to give my uncle John back in Erie, Pennsylvania credit for this. He, he told me one of the things he did with his kids were like every one of us had a Chevelle. Mm. We rebuilt a car and a motor and took it apart. And I always remember him saying, Steve, most people, this will blow their minds right now, but we're going to take this apart. We're going to make something that seems so complicated, the engine of a car. And we're going to take it. I'm going to show you it's step by step, piece by piece, break complicated things down into simple parts I'm not the smartest guy in the world, but I can do small little tasks. And then and you stack those all up. And before you know it, we built, rebuilt an engine to a car. So, and, and you know, further on the career front, um, this is really corny. It's probably, <laughs> but I'm high school counseling back in the eighties. I graduated in 87 high school, but I, I saw up on the career counseling board like, I, okay, I'm supposed to be an engineer. So which one? Computer, mechanical, civil engineering. And I looked and I said, that was the only one that they said as a benefit, you get a company car. <laughs> and I thought, that's it. That's it for me. So when I went to college at Penn State, I worked at the DOT over the summer. I knew I wanted to be a civil engineer. Mm-hmm. That's the kind of decision I made. But during one of my summer, I, I worked three years, but one of the summers, I remember we were building a road in Erie, Pennsylvania. And as we were excavating the base of the road, we uncovered a bunch of pipes that weren't supposed to be there. Mm. And I looked and I'm like, what the heck are these? Cause I'm working for the DOT and I'm yeah. like, these aren't, these don't show up on the plans. What are they? And I ended up tracing it up to the hill and I'm like, wait a second, those houses up on the hill, what? Are... And I walked down to the water and there was sewage coming out <sighs> into the bay in, in p- the peninsula in Erie, Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. And I started asking questions. I'm like, what the heck is this? That's raw sewage. And I'm like, well, they're, on, they're not connected to the city sewer. And so right then and there, you know, there's lots of stories, but <laughs> I will never, I mean, we grew up in Erie. Mm-hmm. You know how they have like the UV forecast here? Right. They had the bacteria count on the news each night. Oh, like, no. If the wind would stir up the sewage. And, and, anyway, that inspired me to become a civil. <laughs> to slash, create better cities and yeah, better planning. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, so you grew up in Pennsylvania then, right? I did, Erie, yeah. Pennsylvania. Yeah. yeah. And then, of course, you went to Penn State, um, which if anybody that knows you knows that you are diehard. <laughs> it oozes out of me. If God's not a Penn State fan, why is the sky blue and white? You know, those kind of things. Yeah, it's all good. So what, what eventually brought you to Florida? Well, I just talked about this, and I just went through a leadership polk. Mm-hmm. Actually, brag on Katie here. Mm-hmm. Yes, everybody knows on the podcast here. <laughs> Your first year, you were the chair for Leadership Winter Haven, mm-hmm. the first year. So I was part of that inaugural class. Mm-hmm. So I advanced on the leadership polk. But I told this story, and I had to break this out of the closet yeah. for this, for that, and then I, I figured I'd do it here today. 
and, and again, this goes back to scrapping and, you know, Charles Richardson, do you ever hear his name? Former mayor of Winter Haven. Oh, yes, yes. He said, he had a quote. I always put these quotes in my back pocket. I live my life, listen to the, my elders, mm-hmm. taking their advice. But he said, if it's, if it's to be, it's up to me. Hmm. Okay. So those boards have stayed with me forever. So I'm like, that. all right, you know, the land, you know, United States is great, but you're not owed any outcome. Mm-hmm. We live in the greatest country in the world, but you have to work hard and make it happen. So you, if, if it's to be, it's up to me. Mm-hmm. So anyway, with that, along that lines, I, I held this up. It's, it's Money Magazine. I got to take a picture of this. Okay. So doing that. <laughs> Money Magazine, April, is it April, yeah, April, 1993. Mm-hmm. Okay. So this is one of those things, again, back to Uncle John. I used to spend a lot of time rebuilding that motor. <laughs> so he got me interested in, he said, pensions aren't going to be around. You got to save for your future 401k, all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. So, but one of the things, so I ordered Money Magazine. Of course, mm-hmm. I'm probably the only kid at Penn State reading Money Magazine and <laughs> college <laughs> but here's here's the thing page 169 of course nobody's gonna remember what that is mm-hmm. but on page 169 this is probably one of the turning points in my life so I knew I wanted to be a civil engineer mm-hmm. and this was the top 50 job markets in the country wow well guess what you know first one I'm going down the list list, list, list. oh Tampa, St. Petersburg, and Orlando were number six and seven in the country. And they were the first ones to list civil engineering hmm. were the top. They listed how many jobs. So mm-hmm. I'm data-driven and all this sort of stuff. So that's how I moved to Florida. That <laughs> got me to – so I – and I have to brag on my – this is just – again, if it's to be, it's up to me. Mm-hmm. Back then, we didn't have the internet. So how does a kid in college in Pennsylvania mm-hmm. get a job in Florida mm-hmm. pre-internet? No LinkedIn, no monster.com or whatever. Right. So what I did, scrapping, always been a scrapper, entrepreneur, paper boy, all that sort of stuff. Um, I ordered the phone books from, <laughs> remember we used to have those, the yellow pages? I, I remember what those looked like. There you go. <laughs> the yellow pages. So I got civil engineering firms, Tampa and Orlando. I looked it up and I blindly sent them resumes. I got a call. My dad, God bless him, drove me down in the middle of the night. You know, we couldn't afford a hotel or anything, but we drove through the night, got there for the interview. We did stay one night and then we went right back, but got the job and voila, here I am in Florida. Wow. So what yeah. firm was that that you got the job with? Um, do you know Mike Gurr? Trish Gurr, you know, the uh, Marine Supply. Uh, oh, oh, he, yes. Yeah. Okay. Her husband, mm-hmm. uh, her, her, his dad, uh, he had an environmental engineering firm. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, yeah. We did groundwater remediation. That's what I thought I wanted to do right out of college. Yeah. But then that brought me to Winter Haven. And um, anyway, yeah, so that's how I got here. Yeah. So what year was that that you moved to Winter Haven? That was 1993. 1993. Yeah, All right. In, so in, lots of change. Yeah, I've got a couple that. gray hairs now. <laughs> so, um, that brought me to advisors. So it's just kind of the next step there. Yeah. So tell me about that a little bit. So you, you know, you blindly send your resumes to a lot of these companies down here. You end up in Winter Haven, Florida. Um, and really you, from the time I knew you, you were synonymous with, advisors engineering. Yeah. So talk a little bit about that journey. Yeah. So I was really pinching myself. I was probably, I, I never looked this up, but I had to have been one of the youngest professional engineer, master degreed environmental engineers in the state of Florida. Cause they gave me credit for my, all my summer work at mm-hmm. the DOT. A- anyway, I was like 22 years old. I had my PE. I was armed to mm-hmm. you know, take on the world. And, um, actually I was 24, I think, but I realized I kind of reached, I was, 
had all this background, master's degree, all this sort of stuff. And the place I was working didn't do all that. And I was like, okay, I need to, you need to pay me more money or I need to go. So I, I, I responded to an ad, uh, Doug Darden. He's, you know, anybody with gray hair knows that name in Winter Haven, but he interviewed me and, and I went into the interview and he's like, I just found out last week, I'm not going to live forever. <laughs> And I need to build a transition plan for my engineering company. So mm. if you will come work for me, you will be the foundation piece of my engineering firm. So I'm pinching myself because I just got out of school a couple of years ago and they're like, where do you want to be in 10 years? I'm like, oh, I want to own my own engineering firm. Mm -hmm. And here we are, a golden opportunity, divine intervention. You know, a few years later, I'm one of the senior partners at Advisors and you know, the rest is history. So. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Now, um, when you worked for advisors, talk about a little bit of um, some of the projects that you worked on through those years. Well, and, and, and again, big believer in elders um, getting their advice. I, 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 especially early in my career. And this is advice to the young folks. Ask questions. Work extra hard. If you want to advance, it's up to you. You got to be better than everybody else. So I would always stick around. And I was looking around and I'm like, okay, I just came to advisors between Doug Darden, Dick Mattis is another mm -hmm. senior name in the community here. Uh, there was this fellow, Jerry Wolf, mm -hmm. who digging into his background, he worked all the way up to the president on infrastructure. Mm. I got to work with these people on a couple projects and I think I added it up at one point. It's like 160 years of engineering experience from the local level to the state level to the federal level. Mm -hmm. And I was just a sponge. I would stay after. they were. They probably felt sorry for me after a while, but they would keep answering my questions, so I just kept asking. But, you know, I'm a believer in my, one of my professors, at my graduate advisor, he wrote a book on risk-taking and all that sort of stuff. But it, it, one of his conclusions, again, put these in your back pocket, a mistake is not a mistake as long as you learn something from it. Mm -hmm. So that's where I encourage, you know, you get knocked down, get it back up again. You know, if you learn something from it, you don't do it a second time, definitely not a third time. We'll hire you, number one. But that's what it takes. Don't be afraid of mistakes. And a lot of people are held back by even making that little bit of mistake, and they don't put themselves out there. I like to go take risks and uh, solve problems. Mm -hmm. So, anyway. So, Advisors was obviously they had a, a wide body of work that they yeah. worked on. Um, question on yeah. But how did you, no, no, you're good. <laughs> it's your, you get, you're hitting all the inspirational okay, notes. Okay. See, so I love it. Um, but uh, they're well known in the community. I mean, in the winter Haven community and, and you've been well known in the community for working on a lot of projects, which, you know, that uh, so many of the projects that, that you've worked on, um, people don't understand how long it takes to bring a lot of those to fruition um, and how laying the, the, um, the um, not literal foundation, because you get to a literal foundation at one point, but laying the groundwork for some of these things to, to happen. So talk a little bit about, you know, you said you started on groundwater. I've always known you kind of in the civil engineering realm. Um, how did you kind of decide on those areas of interest for yourself? And talk about a few community projects that you've really enjoyed being a part of. Yeah, great question. Uh, and this is going to overlap into economic development. Mm. Uh, <laughs> Another one of your passions. <laughs> um, but, you know, Doug used to always say, um, we, we He's the one that coined this term. We used to put it in all our letterhead. You know, we're, every one of our letters 
we're happy to help make Winter Haven a better place to live, work, and play. We've been that's been our slogan since the '80s, mm-hmm. and it's just kind of grown. But I bought into that, and so I kind of look at myself as, all right, it's awesome building infrastructure and helping the community advance. But I also look at it as like, well, it also leads to it, it's a form of service that actually creates another pathway for service. So you can use that, leverage it you know, rotary and all this sort of stuff, you know, you can use your vocation to, to make a difference. Mm-hmm. But the backup on your, some of the projects, I didn't exactly know I was going to do this in college. Um, I focused on water, wastewater, you know, classical civil engineering things. But again, you know, risk taker, fear none, you know, my job is to go into communities and figure out what their needs are, mm-hmm. solve the problem and come up, you know, especially in central Florida, where there's a lot of funding limitations, we'll say. Uh, that has, you know, and this goes back to being a paper boy and entrepreneur 101. It, it, um, if you can bring money to the table, you can, a lot of the communities, you can really get them pointed in the right direction if you can bring funding solutions to the table. So um, I actually started forming a spreadsheet. So you're sort of geeky too, my daughter says. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but I have a spreadsheet that goes back to like 1999, 2000, where I, have on a spreadsheet the grant and funding solutions that we've brought to communities. Right. Mostly Polk County, mm-hmm. Hardy Highlands, now a little bit in South Florida. But the number is over $284 million of wow. infrastructure grant and funding solutions that we've. So I look at that as, uh, you know, a way to make projects happen. And it's it started out in water, wastewater, but now it's growing into mm-hmm. transportation and Broadband, most recently, smart solutions, smart cities. Um, you know, my very first project was a solid waste master plan. I, I've been blessed. I, I mean, you know, young engineers don't get the opportunity to do some of the things I've. You know, my first project in advisors was working on the solid waste master plan. Okay, for the whole county. Mm-hmm. Okay, back wow. in two thousand, late nineties. But I learned the history. Did you know that before 1975, we had no landfills in this county? Uh, what? <laughs> <laughs> Where did it go? Yeah, well, and I got to speak to the, Lee Draper, was former county commissioner. Yeah. He, he said, Doug Darton came to me and he's like, man, we're living in the dark ages here. We need landfills. Because they said when, I think his quote was, when 90% of our county's road maintenance budget was garbage pickup, 90% of the road... We knew we had a problem. We needed mm-hmm. landfill. So they came to Doug, but everybody in Polk County, every city used to have a dump. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, we have, I can't find the map anymore, but we had a map of all the dumps around, mm-hmm. where everybody would bring their trash, like behind Walmart or just a, like a sinkhole that they would throw it in and bury <laughs> it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. This goes a little deep. This here. is making my little. <laughs> I, or, or it was burn barrels in their backyard oh, or they would geez. ride down these unpaved roads and just toss it out there and that. So, so the county had to continuously pick up the trash. So anyway, so he worked on the first solid waste master plan, build mm-hmm. our landfills, and I got to work on the 25-year update, mm-hmm. kind of review all that and kind of give a few vision going forward. But those, you know, again, I'm only, I'm under 30 at that point. Mm-hmm. I mean, to get to work on those kind of projects, right. just to learn the history and, mm-hmm. you know. Well, that also speaks to, and this is a sales pitch I give to a lot of young people thinking about the careers is, you know, there's something sexy about going to New York or going to Austin or going to San Francisco, but when you can get into a firm or your field of study in a secondary or tertiary market, 
you have such an opportunity to learn so much more of the breadth of the industry because you're given those opportunities to sit side by side with the owners of the company or the lead project managers of the company to absorb right. and learn versus going to a big firm in New York where the only thing you're doing is this widget part of a project every single day. Or you're a piece sliver. of an assembly line and you're just this little exactly, piece. Exactly. That was a pitch Doug used on me. Yeah, it wasn't. There yeah, you go. Like, you come work for me. It's true, people. <laughs> go from soup to nuts. Stay with us for more after a word from our sponsors. We'd like to welcome and thank Mahalik Auto Group for sponsoring season two of our podcast. This family-owned and operated business was first founded in 1966 in Michigan by Ralph Mahalik Sr. The family opened Winter Haven Dodge Chrysler Jeep Ram in 1991 and continued to expand in Polk County, now owning three additional dealerships at Posner Park, in Lake Wales, and Alfa Romeo Fiat of Winter Haven. Not only are their teams dedicated to finding you the perfect vehicle, but they are also focused on building a strong relationship with the community and treating their buyers like family. Find your new ride for 2021 and learn more at www.lowpaymentkings.com. From seeing a problem in the community, yeah. helping putting together a plan to make it happen, mm -hmm. that they don't teach you or you don't get involved within a big company. You're, you're just a little piece on the treadmill. Yeah. So. So master planning, because that's something that I've also known you as being very skillful at is master planning, planning seeing that long-term vision. So um, solid waste, you know, again, people don't think of that as the sexiest thing, but they certainly complain about it if it's not working, you know, so that's one piece. But what other kind of more forward-thinking master planning projects have you been involved with over the years? I'll give you a great one. And this mm -hmm. is, uh, this goes back to Mike Kerr when he was county manager. Mm -hmm. It's a kind of tie in the Winter Haven theme here. I got to work on with Roger Homan in my office. Uh, we were the lead engineers on back in 2002 ish, three ish. The Department of Community Affairs said, and, and Swift Mud, you know, there's no more, there's no more water mm -hmm. here. You can't keep pumping groundwater. You know, we got to find alternative solutions. So I was fortunate enough. I remember Neil Cumby, who's yep. out and back in. Out and I back remember in, him yeah. saying, <laughs> we were tied for first place in the RFQ. I, I always remember this. And Doug, he's like, you know, we've master planned everything here for the county, solid waste, water, wastewater. This will be, you know, the feather in my cap on the way out. Mm -hmm. So we, I remember Neil Cumbie saying, well, you're tied for first. I'm the tiebreaker vote. You know, four people have voted. It's 2-2. Two, two. I'm the fifth. And he said, I want somebody who lives here to be giving me unfiltered advice on what we need to do for water. So we got picked to do that. Mm -hmm. Anyway, that led to a 20-year water supply plan, which by the way, is right about now when it ended mm -hmm. that the vision. Um, but, but, you know, water is another big. Mm -hmm. Now, how much of that you said we're nearing the end of that. And from the time that I've been engaged in the community, water has been such a large part of the conversation um, because it's like, all of a sudden people woke up besides people like yourselves that are in the industry and said, Hey, guess what? We're in the red zone. There is no water left after a certain amount. And Tampa and Orlando and all these other places are going to want to take our water if there is any left. Um, but we've seen the Polk uh, Water Cooperative come out of that. We've seen, you know, different proposals come forward. But the amplification of the crisis has been very loud in the last 10 years that I've been paying attention, if you will, to it. Right. So have you seen some of those things come to fruition through that oh, master God. plan? Yeah. 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 <laughs> Being in the war room behind the scenes on all this. Mm -hmm. I remember Doug. I, I keep mentioning Doug. He was truly a great uh, visionary 
so some of those things rubbed off, hopefully. But I remember him saying the coastal communities have, had, have been partying, and we're they're asking now Polk County and Central Florida to pay for the hangover. Mm. <laughs> okay, so that's a little. I kind of get to the point, and I'm like, come on, Doug, they represent us, you know. Well, no, they represent like it's either 14 or 18 counties, mm-hmm. including all the coastal communities. So you're just gonna have to balance all that. Mm-hmm. But that, um, unfortunately, one of the and by the way, economic development, I remember the very last slide. It was at the Chain of Lakes Fieldhouse. And I remember the last slide on that presentation in 2004. Water, engineers, I can't help. Mm-hmm. Got to be an equation. Water equals economic development. Mm-hmm. That was 2004. Mm. Okay. And unfortunately, we didn't, you know, one of the solutions that everybody latched onto was, oh, we can conserve. We can we can reuse our water. I was like, yeah, but there needs to be a balance here. Mm-hmm. You know, we're going to wake up in 2020. We're going to have no water and all the cheap water is going to be gone. Mm-hmm. Well, guess what? Yeah. <laughs> now we're finding out it's going to cost two, three, four times the amounts per month mm-hmm. for all of us. You know, but anyway, we're moving forward mm-hmm. now. It's mm-hmm. just, it's going to be a lot more expensive. Yeah. Well, that's probably what's hard about master planning at the same token is you lay out a plan, you, you know, you bring the horse to water, if you will, can't you know, you shouldn't, but you can't make them drink. And of course, a lot of times with the master planning or any planning that comes in place, there's normally high price tags to that. Um, there's, there's low hanging fruit that you can tack, but there's typically some large infrastructure investments that need to be made to bring a master plan to fruition. The point of the master plan is you're supposed to be spreading that out over right. 20 years so that... And so I mean, you've, a crisis. you in the span of this interview have talked about two plans that have gone through iterations that are, have expired. I mean, 20 years goes by yep. incredibly fast. And so that's the whole point of a master plan is it's supposed to give someone a, uh, um, a roadmap right. to be able to make those investments in smaller chunks along yep. the way to end up with a product that will that will be beneficial to everybody. So so now, um, so you were with Advisors, and then several years ago, Advisors um, emerged. We um, acquired. Yeah. Acquired yep. um, uh, by Pannoni. So talk a little bit about what Pannoni brought to the table and kind of what additional expertise that group brings to the table. Yeah, it's real exciting. Um, you know, they first approached me, you know, they had a job opening and State College, Pennsylvania. And they said, we know how you Penn Staters are. You know, how would you love to retire in State College, Pennsylvania and run our office in, in State College, Pennsylvania? And I said, wow, that's intriguing. So I flew up there and, and then I just realized, wow, I am, I can't leave my company. Right. I, I, Doug really, he had some good attorneys. <laughs> I, I will leave broke. So mm-hmm. um, so I told him, I, I, I can't come work for you. But I said, have you ever thought about buying a firm in Florida? Mm-hmm. So I said, hmm. They looked at it, and they, their executive committee said no at first. But then a year later, they came back and said, well, we've rethought. Florida's this growing place. Mm-hmm. So they, so we were their first flag. You know, their furthest south office at the time was Virginia. Mm-hmm. And then here we are all the way down in Florida. So now we have, like, six offices in Florida, and it's really um, – it's been a springboard for them. Oh, wow. I didn't realize you had six offices yeah. in Florida. Okay. I actually spend time I'm on paper, the Miami Beach mm-hmm. office director, um, and we're doing mm-hmm. some exciting things down there. But mm-hmm. you asked the question, so what can we do? That That's really what sold me on going down that path is, you know, although we could do great things, you know, there were certain advantages to being a local firm. I had a craving to do bigger things that we just didn't have the resources and the investment capital to 
get into. So th- that's now led into, which I think is one of your, I'm transitioning for you here, yeah. uh, into the topic of smart communities. Mm-hmm. And um, we're doing some great things with energy. I think we had the uh, leadership Winterhaven class, and, and so I told you all about this, but it's now blossoming. Uh, and, you know, so the topic of energy conservation, um, are there anybody from the power company listening? <laughs> They're not going to want to hear this, but, but they don't really want people to know how to save mm-hmm. on their electric bills so much. Um, you know, they're, they're business people just like we are. But so we're, we're we've done some things to create some visibility for cities mm-hmm. and uh, private, uh, you know, ha- residential household uh, owners mm-hmm. um, on how, you know, some of the opportunities, maybe you save 20 to 30 percent on your electric bill. That's mm-hmm. a big deal. Mm-hmm. That's one of your biggest household expenses. Um, we, I remember taking our team down to Miami and saying, well, do you have any dashboards, any insight? And they said, well, we have the software to make sure our bills get paid on time. Mm-hmm. Like, really? Uh, how many electric? So they have 4,500 electric bills and they had a software to make sure their bills were on pay. But we're like, but you know, your surcharges. Yeah, do you your, know how much your, How yeah. much gas, electricity, you know, when the price of fuel changes, do you guys have mm-hmm. any information to act on? And, you know, the answer was no. So here we are two years later and we're actually now their lead advisor from a consulting firm. Mm-hmm. And I'm not the guru at this, but again, mm-hmm. I'm blessed. I'm now you have a whole team, team of experts around you. Around me, our energy team, and they're just, you know, mathematicians and, you know, uh, energy purchaser around the world, um, you know, coming to the table here to, to do this. But now we're training their uh, last count was 50. I'm sure it's more now, but like the Publix's, you know, resorts, um, um, you know, the museum of, um, they're all coming in and saying, Hey, we have these big buildings. We're interested here. Teach us how to do an energy audit. Mm-hmm. What are those opportunities to save or look at our electric bill? Oh, it could be as little as, or as easy as they've got you on the wrong classification. Mm. as a user and and whatever the highest bill is for the year you're paying a base charge all 12 months because of that one day or hour spike oh wow maybe you should reclassify right and just that would be low cost no cost savings Mm -hmm. so you're the hero for days right right. (laughs) um yeah yeah Yeah, that's that's great 20 percent of your electric bill is a pretty big Oh, it's it's significant. I yeah. mean, it's absolutely significant. We get we get excited, especially during the summer months in Florida, when it's like, oh, we saved, you know, we were three units down from last year, so you save a certain amount of money. But, um, you know, I'm sure, especially this time of year, that rings true for a lot of people and watching their bills continue to go up. Yeah. Yeah, the mayor in Miami is real, the new mayor. Um, she's a big proponent of this, and so mm-hmm. they've got the what they call the BE three hundred five. It's water and energy efficiency. So it's so like in the next five years, they want to reduce by like 20% mm-hmm. as a overall goal for the community just mm-hmm. to, and switch to renewable energy, that kind of stuff. But we do have a Florida poly graduate. He's leading our, uh, you know, so we're putting our money where our mouth is with the kids, you yeah. know, bringing in and mentoring, um, kind of created a new job for him. And now he's loving it. He's flying oh, around wow. the country. He's down in Miami. He's in Indiana. I mean, he's, he's like Austin Powers flying around, <laughs> um, getting all his experience mentoring. But he now has a career that didn't exist like right. five years ago. Yeah. Right out of Florida Poly. 
And um, anyway, that that brings a lot of joy to. Well, and that's what's so that. wonderful about the career that you're in, because civil engineering sounds, you know, most people think, well, I'm going to go in, I'm going to do roads and, you know, infrastructure and all that kind of stuff. But it's a constantly evolving industry. Right. Um, and what exists today is not what is going to exist 10 years from now. Um, and there are probably some people today that know what 10 years from now could potentially be. Um, but. It, you know, for somebody who's sitting as a freshman in high school, starting as a freshman in high school next week, they there's we have no idea what it's going to look like for them when they get down to that. And one of those areas that's been around for a while but um, has really caught on over the last decade is this idea of smart cities. Um, and you have been a leader in Polk County when it comes to first just getting everybody on board with what is a smart city and why it's an appropriate investment for our um, government institutions and private institutions to look to. But explain a little bit about what is a smart city. Okay. Well, I'll start with that is a unique definition for every city. <laughs> every city, different revenue, different size, different assets, different. Every city needs to undertake a, a discussion on what does smart city mean to me. And I was blessed pre-COVID uh, to, to probably take one of the last uh, in person, I think they're starting them up again. Smart, U.S. Smart City Council um, conferences up in D.C., and I got to meet a bunch of the think tank and the people from around the world right there, and um, it really opened my eyes. And I was blessed. If you remember City Works mm -hmm. last, uh, I guess it was March of 2020, we literally right were the last conference. Yeah. There were people calling me from the airport like. I'm the only one in line. Are you sure Winter Haven, Florida, this conference is still on? Yeah. There's literally nobody in security, bag check, all this mm -hmm. stuff. I'm like, yeah, 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 we're on. We're, you know, we're rogue down here. <laughs> we're, 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 our doors are open. But um, I was blessed to meet the mayor of a little town called Seat Pleasant, Maryland. Mm -hmm. and, and we've become friends, and we invited him down to that conference. I remember, yeah. He's, you know, listen to him. He's obviously going there and making it happen from, you know, he's a city of like 4,000 people and he's made it happen. Tens, he's over a hundred million now in investment from the tech world and smart city world investing in his city because he's just shown leadership. But what really struck me with him is how to make it possible in a, a small city mm -hmm. um, because that's really Polk County. You know, we have 18 or plus minus municipalities here and that's who we really serve. They're underfunded, understaffed. You know, how do you, again, here's the problem solving is kicking in. Like, how, well, how do we find the money? How do we make it happen in a small city? So I would argue, you know, smart cities have been around going strong now for maybe 10 years or so, kicking it into higher gear. It's so evolving and exploding. But unfortunately, the conversation has centered around big cities, mm -hmm. you know, Google and Facebook or uh, Apple and, uh, you know, IBM, they're all coming in looking for the big kill. You know, mm -hmm. Hey, where can we invest and, you know, make a bunch of money? You know, the city's got a big budget here. Well, we're working for cities who don't have the staff. They definitely don't have the money. You know, right. How do we move the needle in Polk County? And then sitting on the Polk Vision smart community team, you know, we're still at the ABCs of whether we can get broadband to everybody right, in our right. county. Yeah, it was okay. like two years ago, you were going around trying to get everybody oh. to commit to sign a resolution that just made it 
broadband a priority, right? And sidewalks, by the way. So there, there is a base uh, level. <laughs> we're, we're really at the elementary level, which is okay. It's just, yeah. it's just, but it's a different conversation. So right. smart city to us, we're more at the infancy on defining. We're still working on the backbone infrastructure, but my greatest fear, you know, I live here, my kids all go to school here and uh, I'm going to UCF. <laughs> no, you have to put a smile on your face there. <laughs> UF. Um, you know, how do we move the needle, at least with the backbone? You know, and my fear is that there's money because this is the same cycle. By the way, going back to that $284 million, mm-hmm. there's a con- every single one of those projects that were funded had the same exact characteristic. And this is where anybody listening to this can, can hopefully get a tip here. It started with some level of a plan, a conceptual plan, mm-hmm. a paid plan. Mm-hmm. You can't do it for free, but mm-hmm. have a some sort of a conceptual plan, put together a schedule, identify what it is, the money, and then have a discussion, a public discussion. Get all your stakeholders in the community. If you want buy-in, everybody needs to be part of it. Mm-hmm. Once you do that, you are now positioned to apply for funding assistance. Mm-hmm. It could be a stimulus grant. It could be, you know, the, the fortunate thing is, again, a lot of small cities under 10,000 people here in central Florida, that's where we really focus, is they're eligible for a heck of a lot more grants. So you get over that, there's less opportunity. But still, if yeah. you don't build the consensus in the community, you're never going to get there. Yeah. So my fear is right now broadband. There's a lot of talk with electric charging stations and broadband, these sorts of things. There's money coming through right now right. in the next couple of And I'm not sure we know what to ask for. Yeah. That's interesting because there's, you know, I sat on the MCORS committee, which of course was the uh, the DOT project to investigate the possibility of the three new toll roads. And um, of course, the legislature repealed the Southwest Connector, which was the committee that I sat on. But one of the things that came out of that, um, which I was so grateful for that conversation of everyone, environmentalists and transportation planners and business people, everyone around that table to talk about the importance of broadband going forward. And one of our meetings, I'll never, and they totally did this on purpose, but the conversation that day was broadband and we were down in Glades County and I couldn't get a cell signal. There you go. I couldn't get Wi-Fi. I couldn't get anything. Not, not even to mention that the only grocery store was the brand new Love's truck stop that had a fresh food section, but there was no, there's no Publix in right. Glaze County, you know. So, but from a broadband perspective, how does Glades County develop? I mean, how do they, from an economic development perspective, from, I mean, if I am standing outside the Civic Center on one foot with my arm reached out trying to get a cell signal, how does anyone develop? And it's not a huge customer base there for, you know, Google or AT&T or, or Spectrum or whoever it might be to go in and put a massive amount of infrastructure investments in there because the, the regular place they make their money in terms right. of the customers aren't necessarily there they're in Jacksonville yet. and Miami exactly. and yeah. Orlando that's what they're focused so on so when we talk about Florida growth mm-hmm. you know there there's um certainly we've benefited from being slightly more rural and people that don't want to be in the big cities so they're coming down to Polk County and you know I don't even know even though we have rural patches I don't know how much longer we can continue to call ourselves rural you know but um it's as we look at electric vehicles, you know, I'm interested in the new Ford F-150 that's going to be fully electric. And I think you have to map up where you're going to go, where you're going to charge, all that sort of thing. And that's the future. I mean, more and more people are going to want to be going that way. Yeah. So you, you, 
a lot of things there, but yeah. sorry, I rambled. The problem solving is <laughs> kicking in, and I'm asking the question. You, you know, again, I'm not a broadband. I'm a civil engineer. I'm right. not a broadband guru, but I know know enough to be dangerous. We we've recently prepared uh, conceptual master plans or master plans for five communities in the last eight months mm. in Polk and. Uh, Lake County. Mm. And I've listened to some really smart people on my team advising on this and putting together a comprehensive solution with a timeline, a cost, and a multi-tech approach. It's not going to all be fiber to the home. That's too expensive. It's got to be a combination. I've learned there's a lot of business interests, business model. There has to be a business model discussion. Right. The city needs to win. The private utilities need to win. Uh, the internet service providers need to win. Cell co- 5G needs to win. So unless you get everybody to the table, mm-hmm. everybody's putting up walls and the solution's not being discussed. Mm-hmm. So that's, I'm trying to figure out ways to get tear everybody in the room. Walls. Tear down those walls. <laughs> there you go. Tear down that wall. But it's true. It this is, is true, a yeah. super challenging, it's new. It's not like water and sewer and roads that have been around for mm-hmm you know, hundreds of, uh, over a hundred yeah, years. Yeah, since the Roman times. <laughs> this is new. You know, it's part yeah. of my, yeah, you saw my <laughs> smart city. Where did it start in Rome? Yeah. Right. You saw that presentation. But we now, it, it goes back to, I draw the analogy back to Abraham Lincoln. He was the Intercontinental Railroad president. He mm-hmm. ran on that. Mm-hmm. So commerce, cities could get connected and commerce could exist. I think broadband is the next Intercontinental Railroad or mm-hmm. highway system. If we're, if you can't, if rural communities can't connect, I mean, I won't name any small cities, but a lot of our small cities, there will never be an engineering firm mm-hmm. located in their city. Mm-hmm. Now it's an absolute necessity. Banking, uh, medicine, um, engineering, let alone, you want to be a tech, you want to attract a tech company? Mm-hmm. Really? Mm-hmm. You can't even get cell service, you said. Right. You know, in Glades County. It's it's literally impossible. You time is money. It'll mm-hmm. never happen. So um, anyway, that that's the really the next big focus. But kind of circling back to smart cities, smart communities. Mm-hmm. That's a absolute foundation is the broadband uh, issue. But beyond that, beyond broadband, that you know, although on one hand I know Orlando is very out in front um, and they're doing some things, but they're at such a different level in, in the conversation and, and the stage. We have to define at more of an elementary level what it means to us, but broadband, 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 but it means economic development. It means bringing our kids back. You know, I mean, literally, you know, we need to be thinking about our land development code, for example. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I'm, I'm seeing, you know, it's, you ever see the sixth sense? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. 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 Like I, see I hear people. people. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, uh, you know, didn't know that till the end I got fooled, but, um, <laughs> But I see dead, you know, I, I don't see, want to sound. You see dead people. <laughs> I, you're going to call in the doctor here before we're done with this. But it, it's kind of like that. It's like, I see these things coming, but we're not, you know, we're not adapting quickly here. Right. On one hand, we should be able to because we're smaller. Mm-hmm. But unless you get buy-in from community leadership, it's not going to happen. Right. And you're having, you're asking them to pivot a capital yeah. improvement plan or whatever it might be. Well, yeah. it could be, you know, say so I'm going to give you my, I see dead people mm-hmm. here now. This is. So the premonition. Here I, uh, Representative Soto had me speak on his infrastructure town hall, um, and he got. I'm, I'm going back again to, to talk about this, but things like the electric charging stations you mentioned. Mm-hmm. So, the subdivision of tomorrow, okay, 
where you're going to want to, you know, where you literally, we literally live in a world where two-year-olds are using iPhones. And, oh, absolutely. You know, yeah. They are just wired differently, no pun intended. Mm -hmm. They demand, they are going to demand, they want to live in that world. Well, how many homes of yesteryear have broadband, have the electric charging infrastructure within mm -hmm. the streets of their subdivision mm -hmm. in place? I mean, you know, we're, we're our think tank, you know, we're talking about, for example, charging stations. Well, well, first of all, do, do we want to wake up five years from now and realize, oh, yeah, you know, like the, the big three automakers have said by 2030, all, 100%, all new cars will be electric. Mm. Okay. So, yeah, there'll still be some gas-powered vehicles on the road, but all new vehicles after 2030. So, if well, let's think about this. Got all these people moving to Florida, all these houses being built. So what provisions are we in our land development code? Mm -hmm. Are we putting in there to adapt to that right now? Where, by the way, if we plan for it now and realize that's something we want to be, mm -hmm. every developer that builds a street, puts in water and sewer lines, we have them put in bigger electric condo because each house is going to have to have a charging station. Mm -hmm. So instead of having a 100 amp breaker, you're going to need 400 amp breakers or whatever mm. it is in each house. Yeah. If they're not wired with it, you're not going to have charging stations. It's going to mm. be awfully difficult having a charging station in your house. Mm -hmm. So those are things that we can be doing. Broadband is another one. We should be looking at our land development codes, putting in, because again, I, I mean, believe me, I, mm -hmm. I want our community to improve. But also the reality of that is government will never, taxpayer money is precious, be available to go back and do it 20 years later right. when all the streets are in. Well, and it's, it's a lot cheaper to do it when the hole's open. Yeah. Yeah. Because when you're talking about bury the conduit, you're asking them just basically to put in a tube. Yeah. Right. That right. they could pull yeah. it in just eventually, pull yeah. it in. Yeah. 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 And it, it's the same applies for, for um, broadband. Mm -hmm. Another uh, example of the past, again, I get mm -hmm. seeing things over decades, not doing it. Another one is reuse water that mm -hmm. we can all relate to right now. Because cities didn't require developers to put in the purple pipes, mm -hmm. a subdivision that's built today, very low probability anybody will ever be willing to pay for the cost to run purple pipe reuse water once the streets, mm -hmm. landscaping, all that. So let's not make those mistakes again, and let's look ahead on some of the. So when it comes to smart cities, that is a front. If you're going to be a scrapper, you know, mm -hmm. without a lot of money and to help get there and move the needle, one way that doesn't cost you anything yeah. is change your land development code. Mm -hmm. But you gotta have a plan, you gotta have a vision, Have you have to discuss, do we want to facilitate electric charging stations? Until the community has a discussion on that, mm -hmm. says we want to do that, no house is gonna have it. So we're not going to be, we're gonna be like one of these cities that can't attract a high tech firm. Mm -hmm. Nobody wants to live there or have a business there because you didn't put the infrastructure in. Right, right. So, yeah. Anyway, I'm rambling. No, I but love those it. Are... I love your soapbox because it's so right. And so I'm going to just make sure that everybody in the planning at the county and the city okay. listens okay. to this episode, Steve. So um, I know we're getting tight on time, so I don't want to miss uh, the opportunity to talk about your community engagement. Okay. Um, because there's something else you're very sy synonymous for, and that's Rotary. You're very involved in Rotary. But um, so much of what you've talked about today and what you have, um, uh, what your career is about and the advice and mentorship that you want to bring forward has to do with helping the children in our community. And so talk a little bit about 
why being engaged in the community is important to you, but why in particular being engaged in the community when it comes to the future of children is important to you? Yeah, I appreciate that question. Um, I'm very, this strikes a nerve with me. Um, Got a couple, again, listening to elders and putting my spin on a couple of these old sayings, but, you know, number one, um, you know, I've reached a point in my career where, you know, it's not about money for me. It's not about bigger house. I mean, I'm still driving a 2013 car. So my, my daughter, <laughs> you're very they're going to not well. tell any of their kids to watch this. Cause I got ants in my car and this, <laughs> I mean, it's like, I don't, I am very humble. I don't, you know, I don't need the, the, all the riches, mm-hmm. but now I'm at a point where I want to give, you know, and I've always been that way, but it's even hyper-focused now to help our kids, help our kids with COVID and everything. And just the way the world is and the country it's more important than ever, I think, for the, you know, my generation, our generation to, to give back and help, you know, create opportunities for kids. Because I've just seen when you don't and then what happens when you just give a little bit of time and, mm-hmm. you know. So some examples of that. Um, you know, first, big believer in community service. But I I believe strongly kids, because I, I was not given this opportunity um, love my parents, love them to death, but they just weren't these people. But the community service, there, there is no community service gene. Okay. Kids aren't born with a community service gene. It's a learned behavior and you have to create those examples, get them involved. Mm-hmm. And then, then it's just wonderful what they'll do from there. And, I, and I've just seen, you know, I'm very involved in the high school and interact over there, which is kind of a subset of rotary, but you know, it's, I mean, case in point, we, so painting houses was one of the things we did. Uh, we painted the Ritz. Yeah. Okay. It's a year ago or whatever. And we had the whole, you know, we had 12, You painted 15, houses this past weekend, didn't you? We did. Yeah. yeah. How did you see that? I saw that on the social media. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's interesting because the president and the vice president, they're, they're like calling me now like, hey, we see this painting opportunity, you know. Mm-hmm can we go paint? We need service hours. So it's like, wow, we showed them how to use a paintbrush, a roller. And now they're calling me like, Mr. Elias, Mr. Elias, can we go? So that's just awesome. Um, you know, and I'm from Pennsylvania, as we said in the beginning, uh, one of Pennsylvania's, uh, most famous citizens is Benjamin Franklin. Okay. And there's a quote that he has that I love and it's part of the fabric too is so, so you got to say this slow. So tell me, so when it comes to parents and their kids, Tell me and I will forget. Okay. Teach me and I may remember. But involve me and I learn. Mm. So if you, so I just kind of take that to heart and say, you know what? You know, if we're going to, like at my Rotary Club, when we do projects, every time we do a service project, I try to encourage the club to take a look when appropriate to let that project be the Winter Haven High School Interacts project. Mm-hmm. So for example, we're going to be packing meals, 50,000 meals or whatever the number is at Winter Haven High School when school starts back up for hungry in the community right. and around Kids the world. Kids pack, stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we, you know, I'm hoping we make that their, pro- we're going to do it at the high school. Mm-hmm. So we're going to make it their project. And there's a little bit of competition here with the key club too. So we got to be cooler <laughs> than the Kiwanis. Um, but make it their project and let them feel empowered. Cause I'll tell you the last time I was president of our Rotary Club in 2011. The year we did that at the high school, they were the district club of the year, mm-hmm. interact club of the year. But they were so empowered because they like, wow, we can do this. We can, 
we can make a difference in our community. Right. So anyway, so that's um, that that's led to you know another one. We started a, and this kind of overlap from advisors to, but it's a way to give back to the community, and mm-hmm. this is something that's been near and dear to my heart. Um, in two thousand six, we started a charity here in Winter Haven called uh, Candy Canes for Kids. It's a charitable effort where, because we're so blessed that we work in so many of the different communities mm-hmm. around the county. As a way to give back, we said, you know what, here's a crazy idea. Let's um, let's reach out to the schools. And I know there's needy kids in each school that are going through troubled times. And um, let's find out those kids that are kind of on the edge that need some help. So um, we've, we've rotated, I think we're like eight different cities in the county, but now our partners, what I'm going to tell you, include Publix, include uh, Legoland, mm-hmm. inc- all these different businesses locally, um, the local police departments. What we do is we identify those families in need and we adopt them basically. So we put together these wish lists and each Christmas we, I mean, the last couple of years, we had a caravan last year in Lake Hamilton that was literally like 25 police cars. Okay. And we deliver these last year. They talked me into being Santa for the first time. So (laughs) I almost got fired, but, um, but it was just the kids just seeing that. And again, the interact club is in the middle of it, but we're showing them and they're like, now they're asking me, are we going to do that again? again? Yeah, exactly. But they're video and like, Oh my God, they're shutting down streets. (laughs) Can put this on Instagram. (laughs) Yeah. 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 It's the coolest thing. So that, uh, you know, that's another example of, you know, we're, you know, knock on wood, I guess we're 16 years mm-hmm. now. So we're, you know, we've survived, but that's another example of creating an opportunity for the kids. Let them, now I got my daughters and, you know, they're leading it. Yeah. You know, it's like hand it off and, and anyway, so. Well, I, you know, I think there's just, there's so much you've touched on today. Um, and it's, it's such a wide, it, it really is representative of you as a person, at least the, the Steve that I know is that you are passionate about so much, but you've been able to funnel that passion and do the betterment of our community. I mean, realistically, um, the projects that you've been involved in, whether they're South Central Park or master planning of the the chain of lakes complex or the, you know, the wastewater treatment plant, smart city planning, all that kind of stuff. Those are all things that have legacy impacts. And, you know, the, the quote that I've used with the commission many times is you have to plant the, the seed to the tree that you'll never see grow. Right. You'll never sit under and enjoy its shade because it is constantly about planning for the future. The investment in children is planning for the future of our community. A lot of those kids that are in Interact, many of them may go off to college, but many of them will come back or many of them may stay here. They are the ones that are going to be making our community what our community is in 15, 20 years from now. So thank I, you. I, I have to interact yeah. on that one. Just another the valid Victorian for Winter Haven High School yeah. last year. He's now going to Harvard. He oh, was one of really? our interact. So my daughter, you know, you're going to kill me again. They watch this thing <laughs> or they listen to this, but they accuse us of having a bromance. Uh, but, you know, because he's like, Mr. Elias, you know, let me get a selfie with you before I go to Harvard kind of thing. Oh, but, wow. but I mean, that means the most, that, that is everything to me. Just, okay, I've been, I won't name his name, but been with them since St. Joe's, which mm-hmm. I know you go back yeah, to yeah, roots yeah. there too. Yeah. We had an early act club there. My mm-hmm. wife led there and then they handed him off to the high school. And so he's been in the kind of the program leadership and now he's going to Harvard. Yeah. I mean that, you know, that's amazing. That, that really is. That brings really a tear is. to my eye. Yeah. 
Well, Steve, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today and talking about a wide variety of stuff. But I think, again, just so important, the the impact and the lessons learned and the number of amazing uh, uh, little tidbits of advice and quotes that you brought in today. I really appreciate your time coming in today. Awesome. Thank you. It's a pleasure. Citizens Bank and Trust, we've been your hometown full-service financial institution right here in your backyard since 1920. Now in our third generation of family ownership, we've served the Polk County community for over 100 years. No matter your needs, we have the right financial solutions for you. At Citizens Bank and Trust, we've got you covered, from secure checking and personal savings plans to a wide range of personal, mortgage, and business loans. Additionally, we offer a highly experienced group of trust and private banking professionals located right here in Polk County. It takes just one visit to one of our 14 convenient locations to experience what makes our bank special and why we invite you to give us a try. At Citizens Bank and Trust, we're proud to be your bank. Citizens-Bank.com, member FDIC, equal housing lender. Well, that's it for another episode of It's Happening in the Haven. We'd like to thank our guest for today's podcast, Steve Elias with Pannoni. Be sure to tune in every week to It's Happening in the Haven, available on all of your favorite podcasting platforms. To learn more about Winter Haven and the Chamber of Commerce, visit winterhavenchamber.com or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We hope you learned a little bit about our community today and even more about the people who are shaping its future. After all, no true community exists without the people who form it. Winter Haven. Some call it a haven. We call it home.